What is God like? I want to share five more attributes of God with you this morning. And, and again, they're, they're all pretty big things. And so, uh, you know, hopefully your sermon notes help you out a little bit. But I want to begin uh, this morning by talking to you about the fact that, that this God that we worship uh, is a word that, that we, we call omnipresent. Uh, that God is this omnipresent. And, and that word omni, it's a Latin word. It, it means all. And, and so you might translate that all present or always present or present everywhere. And that's that's the easiest way for me to remember it is that God is everywhere, uh, that, that God is, is present everywhere and that all things are present to God. Maybe that's another way to look at it. OK, God is everywhere. Well, while you and I are, are limited by time and, and space and things like that. Right. We can't be in multiple places at one time. Now, I know some women that are great multitaskers. OK. Uh, I wish that I had that ability. My wife, I'm telling you, man, she can homeschool, cook, clean, do laundry. I mean, she can do it all at the same time while talking to me on the phone. Right. And I don't know how that happens because I can't even like, you know, I'm usually at my desk. I'm typing some emails. She called. I, I have to stop everything I'm doing just to listen or else I get in trouble because what did I not do? I didn't listen. So, you know, I, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. But she great multi. But but hear me. Even the best multitasker on earth can't be in two places at one time. Okay? We're limited by time and space. But guess what? God's not. God's not limited by time and space. I want you to think about this with me. He's not limited by time or space because he existed before those things existed. God brought time and space into existence. He He's not limited by them. He's omnipresent. God is everywhere. That means that God is here and God is there and 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 God God's everywhere. He's unlimited by time or space because he created them. And what that means for us is kind of a big deal, because that means that we his, his creation, we his children, we his sheep, if you will, are never at a place in life that we're not in his sight. That means that there's no place in life that you as a sheep, as a child of God, there's no crack or crevice or hole or ditch that you can find yourself in that God doesn't know where you are. That's why God can say, I'm the good shepherd, right? Because God sees everything. There's nothing in all of creation that is hidden unto God. That's kind of a big deal. That's a good deal, if, if you ask me, as someone that knows and confesses publicly that he's a pretty wayward child. The fact that, my God, I can never wander too far for him to find me. That's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, so I, I want to share with you uh, this morning what the Bible says about this. Psalm 139, David is trying to wrap his mind around what we're trying to wrap our mind around this morning. Isn't it cool that other men and women of faith have tried to wrap their mind around God before you tried to wrap your mind around God? And so this morning, David, Psalm 139, we're going to read verse 1 through 10. And this is David thinking about what we're thinking about this morning. He's thinking about the omnipresence of God. He's thinking about the fact that this huge God is not limited by time or space, that this God is everywhere. And this is what he pens. And it's, it's It's pretty neat to see how he's thinking. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. He's saying, God, you you see all these things. You you know how it works. He says, you you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. 
You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. David grasping, he's grasping this bigness of God, that God is everywhere. Listen to what God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Uh, God just says, listen, Jeremiah, can can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see? Can anyone do that? Of course, the answer is no. No, there's there's no place that we can hide from God. And again, guys, this is a big deal. And it's such a big deal this morning. I, I want you to grasp because in the time that we have, there's no way that I can say God is everywhere. God's omnipresent. You walk out here and go, OK, yeah, yeah, I got it. OK, so I, I want you to grasp the magnitude of this statement, grasp the magnitude of what this omnipresence means. And so it really means two things. OK, and I want to share these two things that omnipresence means for us. And here's the first. Number one, omnipresence means uh that God is transcendent. Now, transcendence is just a big theological word that, that means that God is above all. That, that he reigns sovereign o- over all. And I, I want to show you a picture. I've shown you this before. Uh, and, and, and Daniel, if we can camp here just for a little bit, don't turn until I say something. Uh, this is the M51 uh, Whirlpool Galaxy. It, it's currently uh, estimated by scientists to be 20 million light years away. Okay, now if you're wondering how far that is in miles, because you're like me, welcome. Uh, a, a, a light year is about six trillion miles. Just in case you're wondering, so six trillion times twenty million is a really big, big, big number. It has 120 in it somewhere with a lot of zeros. It's really, really, really big. Uh, and, and and so here's the deal: this this galaxy exists because uh, Genesis one, God created the heavens and the earth, and this is clearly part part of the heavens. And so so God speaks all things into being, and God makes this universe that is way bigger and vaster than we ever are, and He does it just by speaking, and it happens. And 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 so our, our God is so vast. And uh, here's the cool thing: when the Hubble telescope started to go past this, now we know in the center of this galaxy that's actually a black hole. There, that kind of white stuff, it's a black hole. But they wanted to see close into it. And so when Hubble got in position that they could they could focus the, the, the telescope in on the middle of this black hole, they took a picture of it. And this is what's in the middle of the black hole of the M51 galaxy that's 20 million light years away. This is what it is. Now, scientists call that an X. They said it's an X in the center of the it, it's just an X in the center of the black hole. Uh, friends, does that look like an X to you? No, that doesn't look like an X, does it? It looks like a cross. What's, what does it mean? Like, nothing other than to say that God made everything and that He's transcendent. When we say that He's omnipresent, we mean that His power is known above everything that has been created, even the things that are 20 million light years away that we never knew existed until Hubble went up into space and showed them to us, that the heavens are still declaring the glory of God. When we read the Psalms, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The, the, the skies proclaim, you know, the wonders of his hand. The heavens still declare the glory of God, friends. God's transcendent. He's above all. But God's omnipresence means more than just 
Him being above all. This is really cool. See, God's not just above all. His omnipresence actually means that He's also in all. Now, now again, that's just a theological word. It's imminence. Uh, God is imminent. And and what that means is that, that God is, He's in everything. He's in everything. Listen to what Colossians says. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It's talking about Jesus Christ. It says, For in Him all things were created... Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. See, Jesus holds everything. God holds everything together, right? And I, I, I'm not going to show you a picture yet. I, I want to talk. I've talked to you about this protein before. Scientists have discovered there's a protein in, in, in all living organisms that we all share in common. It's this protein called laminin, and it's pretty cool. It's basically uh, the, the the thing that holds us together. Okay, it, it's the thing that holds our skin to our muscles and our muscles to our bones. It's the reason that we're not a pool of jello. Okay, so everything that has soft tissue, this laminin substance is the thing that holds that that living organism together. Right. Colossians. What does it say that, that, that Jesus made all things? and He holds all things together. So God's above everything. But but his eminence means that he's also in everything. So it's pretty cool that eventually they were able to look at this protein under a microscope. I want you to see what it looks like. That's inside your body right now. It's holding you together. That's why you're not a pool of jello. God's omnipresence means that he's above all and he reigns over everything. It also means that he's in everything and that he holds everything together. That's pretty cool. What is God like? He's omnipresent. Let's start there. All right, number two. This morning I want you to see that God is spirit. God is spirit. Yeah, don't mistake God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence doesn't mean that God is present to everyone and everything at the same time in the same way. People hear that God's omnipresent. They just assume, well, God shows up. He's always going to show up in the same way all the time. Well, no, he doesn't. And the reason that he doesn't is because he's spirit. You see, God is spirit. And, and, and Jesus explains this a little bit to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the, in the middle of the night, you remember, and he's wanting to know how to be saved. And so Jesus is speaking to him. He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, uh, if, if you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to be born again. And, and Nicodemus freaks out and says, I don't want to crawl back up into mom's womb. That's not cool. And so Jesus explains that that's not what I mean, Nicodemus. And so John chapter 3, uh, starting around verse 5, uh, it says, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind, get this, this is huge. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying, guys, is, is, is listen, God's Spirit. And, and like the wind, God blows where He chooses. That means that God doesn't always show up to everyone at all times in the same way, but rather God reveals Himself to whom He chooses, when He chooses, how He chooses, because He's Spirit. And like the wind, we can we can feel his effects, right? But like the wind, we can't necessarily see him. We can see evidence of him, 
but we can't see him. We'll get to that in a second. And so when 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 you hear that, when you hear that God is spirit and, and like the wind, that he goes where he wants to, it should say something to you about salvation, right? Salvation is not a man-centered act, friends. Salvation isn't something that we can do or that we can earn, but rather salvation is something that is completely a God-centered thing because the Spirit of God goes where He chooses, when He chooses, how He chooses. And I don't know about you, as I was studying that this week, I just thought, dear God, thank you for choosing to blow in my direction. Amen? Amen? God is Spirit. And, and, And that has some implication for what we're doing right here this morning, you know? Jesus said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that means that when we come here, it's not about us and it's not about our preferences. It actually means that because God is spirit, that nothing physical is really part of worship. That means it doesn't matter what you wore this morning as long as you were clothed in righteousness, right? It doesn't matter whether you had on blue jeans or you wore a tie. It doesn't matter what songs we sing or how we sing them. It doesn't matter what key they're in. It doesn't matter which version of the hymnal they came out of. It doesn't matter if they were in a book or if they were on a screen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we preach out of the NIV or out of the King James. It doesn't matter. The physical things aren't what's important, right? They're not what's important. And so many times we miss the boat. So many, so many times we, we, we miss the boat. We, we get here and, and we're so focused on everybody else, on what they're wearing, on how they look, on how they're singing. Well, well, I don't know. How's my hand placement in worship this morning? Did I raise my holy hands high enough? Did I put them in my, I don't know. Do we go one hand, two hands? How, what's the right, what's the right stance, pastor? None of it matters. And I'll tell you why. Because God's spirit. So let me redefine worship for you this morning, because here's what it really is. According to Jesus, John chapter 3, when we are born again, when we are saved, we receive the Spirit of God. God's Spirit comes to live inside of us. According to Jesus, John chapter 4, true worshipers have to worship God in spirit. All right? What does that look like? I'll tell you. We've heard some of it this morning. You hear one of these babies, these sweet, precious babies calling out to their mama or their daddy? You thought it was a distraction. No, that was worship. That young child is doing what they know how to do. The only thing they know how to do. They feel need. And what do they do? They cry out. Do we always know what the cry was? No, we have to learn it, don't we? That's the fun first weeks of life, isn't it? Oh, that's the hungry cry. That's the dirty diaper cry. You're trying to, I can't figure you out, child. Just stop crying. Now we're crying. Listen, love you. I just wanted to show you, just wanted to show you. Listen, worship is that. Worship is when the spirit that God placed in you, your new spirit, when the new baby spirit in you cries out to its daddy. When the new baby spirit in you cries out and it doesn't even know what to say and it just cries out, Dad, I need you. When the new life in you understands that the only place it can get substance is from Dad and it cries out, Father, I'm hungry. Father, I'm thirsty. Father, I'm dirty. That's what worship is. 
It's not about your hand placement. It's not about what you wear. And it's not about what hymn you sing or what song you don't. It's not about whether there's guitar or piano or organ. It is when the Spirit of God inside of you, your new life cries out to the giver of life. That's worship. And if you're doing anything short of that, then you're just going through motions. And it's so dangerous, friends, because we all do that sometimes. We come and we miss it. We come and we critique it and we never experience, we never let our spirits cry. Somebody said, well, what does that look like? I don't know. It, it looks like, I know this is a bad example. Are you ready? You, you know, God's talking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, well, what am I going to say to them? I'm too, what am I, what am I, and God says, listen, I know you, I formed you in your mother's womb. You just go and I'll give you words to speak, right? You remember that? That's kind of what worship is. So I'll give you words to speak. So what I call it. Ready? It's positive, godly, spiritual vomit. God just brings something up from the depths of you and you just open yourself to him. And it's not yucky. And it's not. It's, it's just this God just. Yeah, and you open your mouth and, and, and your heart just sings words that some other dude pinned down. But suddenly you mean them in the core of who you are. And you leave and you're changed because of it, because your spirit got to cry out, Dad, I need this. Dad, that's who you are. Dad, I love you. That's worship. God is spirit. If you're going to you're going to try to explain God to somebody, you've got to know that God is spirit. It's a big deal because God is spirit. That brings us to number three this morning. What is God like? Because God is spirit, he is invisible. OK, I love the wind. I am digging the weather right now. I, I walk to work. I was praising God. I, I'm not lying. I, I you know, it's a long commute for me. It's four houses Uh Four houses down to the church. And so as I was walking the commute this morning with all the traffic, uh, stop and go, man. It was bumper to bumper. And um, in the process, I just used that time to praise God. I was like, God, this is amazing. Thank you for this time of year. I'm so grateful that you're, you're a great God and you invented these things called seasons. And I don't understand how it all works, but I'm, I'm loving this season right now, you know. And, and the, the, the wind is blowing across and it's just awesome. Um, God's a little bit like the wind, according to Jesus. We, you know, you can feel the effects of the wind. You can watch a tree sway, but you can't see the wind. Guys, God is that way. And you say, well, what about all these men in the Bible, these great heroes of faith that saw God? Well, they didn't actually see all of God. And hear what Scripture says. Okay, this is um, John 1.18. Uh, it says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's talking about Jesus, by the way. It says, no one has ever seen God uh, except Jesus, is what Scripture tells us. So what about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6. Our kids just learned about this this morning. Our adults should learn about this this morning, too, if they're doing the gospel project. So Isaiah 6, Isaiah goes in, into the temple, right? And it says, I see the Lord seated on the throne, okay? And he is exalted, Right. You remember this? And the train of his robe fills the temple and the temple is shaking and it's craving its own smoke. They didn't need smoke projectors or anything back then. Just God showing up. And wow, what about that? Isaiah saw God, right? No, he saw a part of God. God revealed a portion of himself to Isaiah, just a portion. What about Abraham? Just a portion. What about Moses? He just saw a piece. 
You walk through all of the Bible, Old Testament, and New, and those people that had encounters with God, they just saw a bit. They just had one manifestation. God revealed a portion of himself. Jesus is the only one that's ever fully seen God. Now, is there anybody else that that makes him a little uncomfortable? Is it a little uncomfortable to worship a God that you can't see? Let's be honest. Don't act like it's not. The Israelites were uncomfortable with it. Do you remember? Moses was gone a long time. And so they came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, we need a God that we can see. Aaron, here's all of our gold. Would you please take it and melt it down and make it into a graven image that we can see so that we can worship? And don't act like it's not easier to worship the stuff that you can see. It's easier to worship the Mercedes and the big house. It's easier to worship the bigger 401k and the better insurance. It's easier to worship the stuff that you can see than it is the God that you maybe can't. But as we discovered, the heavens pour forth the glory of God. They speak boldly about him. You can see God if you look. You can see his effects. But I want you to know how good God is. God is so good that he knew you before you were made. He knew that you might struggle with worshiping a God that you couldn't see. And so Colossians 1 tells us something really, really important. Colossians 1 says, the son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. God said, listen, are you you struggling? My child, are you struggling? Listen, don't go to your don't go to your priest and ask him to make you an image. I've made you an image. He's my son, Lord Jesus. And if you're looking for me, just look to him. Jesus is the image, the visible image of the invisible God. That's who Jesus Christ is. He said, if you've seen God or if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you know me, you know God. And that gives us more and more reason to praise God for who Jesus is. God didn't leave us standing around just feeling his effects. God became flesh and lived amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Christmas just around the corner, friends. Don't forget the gift of God in Jesus Christ, okay? Number four. Number four. We're getting there. All right. What is God like? Well, not only is God everywhere, but he knows everything. God's omniscient. It means God knows everything. God God literally knows everything. I I, I just jotted down. This is the this is the shortest version of the stuff that God knows that you'll ever find. We could have just had about, you know, six weeks just on this part. okay? but but just a few. okay? Matthew, chapter 10, verse 29 and 30 uh, teaches us that God knows the number of hairs left on our head. And as, as I don't know about you guys, I'm getting older. Uh, that's that's I, I wish I wish he could add to it. Uh, but he knows he knows how many are left. He knows how much longer I'll have them. Uh, praise God for that. I'm glad I don't know. I don't want to have to be dealing. What do you mean? I'm going to have 30 less next week. Lord, no, I'm, I'm not ready. God knows I'm OK with that kind of. Uh, no, I'm just joking. We're fine. We're fine. <clears throat> One day, I, I, I fear I, one day I'm, I'm going to be part of the bald and the beautiful, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to happen. We'll wear it with confidence. <clears throat> Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says that he knows even when a bird falls to the ground, even when a sparrow loses its life, God knows. God's in control. God knows that. You think there are things in your life that God doesn't know, circumstances that he can't understand. Friends, don't lie to yourself. God knows. God is all-knowing. There's not a thought or a feeling that you have that God doesn't know. 
That's a big deal. That's who God is. Psalm 139 says that God knows what we're going to say before we say it. Sometimes I wish I knew what I was going to say before I say it. Right, man? Says that he saw us before we were made. That he knows our hearts. That he even knows what we're thinking. Again, it would be a great power to have. I just use it on my wife. It's okay, you can laugh, man, unless she's sitting right next to you. Laugh quietly. Sermon notes, three things I want you to see according to Scripture, okay? This is what Genesis teaches us about God knowing everything. Genesis assures us that God knows how everything was made. Scientists are still trying to figure it out. God already knows it. He even wrote it down for us. Pretty nice of him, I think. Genesis assures us. Scientists are still debating. Well, I don't know. Maybe life came from an alien life form. And that's how we got here. Others said, nope, it was a soupy pool of glasses, uh, gases that were struck by lightning. And that's what happened. They've got all their theories, but they're still debating. God says, hey, I'm God. I made everything. That's what it assures us. So God... Being all knowing, he knows how it all's all made. God being all knowing, check this out, according to Colossians, God knows how it's all held together. Why are we not spiraling out of control, right? What's going on? God knows. God holds it all together. That's what Colossians assures us of. And then, of course, the book of Revelation. It assures us that God knows how everything is going to end. I don't know if you've read the end of the book, friends, but it's a happy ending. It's a happy ending. Will there be turmoil? Will there be strife? Yes and yes. How does it end? God makes all things new. The restoration project that he started in you is going to get finished. The restoration project that he started in the church is going to come to completion. The restoration project that he started with earth is going to be completely finished one day. It's all going to be made new. And there'll be no more death. And there'll be no more hurt. And there'll be no more pain. It's coming. It's coming. God knows everything. Number five. Number five, because God is all-knowing, God is naturally also all-wise. All-wise. I don't mean a wise guy. I mean God is all-wise. The fact that God is all-wise means that he always chooses the best possible goals and the best possible means to achieve those goals. I want you to hear that again. The fact that God is all wise means that God always chooses the best possible goals and the best possible means to achieve those goals. I want to show you what I mean. We love Jeremiah 29, 11. We love it. We, we, I mean, I, I know people, this is their, their life verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. That is the one verse they know in Scripture next to Jesus wept. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's turn there. I want to show you something. We're going to read it in context. It's an amazing, powerful transformation if we read it in context jeremiah 29 11 uh, and we're going to read all the way through 13 jeremiah 29 11 says for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
Hear me, God's plans are always better. But for us to receive those plans, we have to turn to the planner. That's the way that it works. God's all knowing. He has a better plan than yours. His plan is infinitely, his plan for your life, infinitely better than your own. Okay, but to get the infinitely better plan, you actually have to go to the one who planned it. That's what he says. He says, I've got this great plan for you. I've got a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Oh, by the way, you get it when you seek me, then you'll find me with all your heart. You see, we forget that we want God's plan, but we want to do it our way. We want God's plan, but we don't want to turn to God for it. We want God's plan, but we don't want to surrender our lives to the one who is the planner. We still want to be in control. And, 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 and there's a word for that. Ready? Don't mean to offend. It's called stupidity. Okay? To have a better plan. And to choose a worse plan. Is dumb. Right? It's available. The better plan is here. The better plan is paid for. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you go to your employer because it's about to be a new year. And he says to you, the company will cover 100% of your health care costs. Pick any plan you want to. Now, you're going to pick the plan with a five ten thousand dollars deductible. And a hundred dollar copay? Are you going to take the one that has zero copay, has zero deductible, company covers it all? Which one would you like? Oh, really? The rest of you want the five thousand, right? Because that's what we're comfortable with. God says, listen, I've got a plan for you. And I've paid for it. I've covered all of the cost. But if you want the plan, you've got to come to me to get it. It's available. And yet all too often we claim the promise, but we choose the other plan. It's stupidity. The best image I have of it, I find in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to, I want to paint a picture for you. Last scripture we'll turn to and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse uh, 22. Paul, Paul says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Verse 24, hear this, please hear this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after I've preached to the others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul's talking about surrender and submission. This is what he says. In order, in order to fulfill God's plan, 
I have to, I know I have to completely submit to him. And because I have to completely submit to him, because I have to come to him, I make my body submit to me. I'm in control of my own body and its desires. I'm, for, I'm beating my body. Now, here's what he says. Basically, I want you to follow it. He says, I'm a runner and I'm not going to run about aimlessly. Anybody like the episode, the, the, the series Friends? Anybody remember the series Friends with Ross and Rachel? Come on. I want to see a hand. It's a guilty pleasure, right? Yeah, I watch Friends. How many people have seen every episode of Friends? Anybody? Come on. Right? Anybody cry? Right? You remember the cafe scene? They finally fall in love. Oh, it's so cute. It's at the window. Right? You remember the scene? Right? You remember it, right? I mean, ah, Friends. Okay? Okay, does anybody remember the episode of Rachel and Phoebe going to the park to run together? All right. Okay, all right, you're following me, right? So Rachel wants to go get in shape. She's going to go running, and, and Phoebe's super excited. Oh, I love to run, I love to run. They go to Central Park, and they start to run, and something crazy happens, right? Rachel's running like a normal person. And then here comes Phoebe out of nowhere, like a wild woman. And she's, I mean, doing this all throughout. Every, and Rachel is just like so embarrassed, she just kind of runs off the other direction. She never goes running with her again. Let me, let me say this in the most loving fashion I can, okay? I think today the church as a whole, that's all of us, run a whole lot more like Phoebe than we do like Paul. I think we, we beat the air a whole lot. And what the world sees are people that say that they have all the answers, but they spend their life just beating the air. Instead of beating their bodies and living in submission to God's plan. Just let that sink in for a little bit. What if instead we said, God, I believe your promise and that you have a better plan. And I submit to you and to that plan. I'm going to give my life to it. What would the world see then? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. So let me give you some things we can do because of this. I'll let you out of here. I'm watching the time. It would be one o'clock right now. Okay. It's not. It would be. I, I, I can set the manual hand on my watch. I cannot set the digital. So if anybody knows how to work a Casio, that's the big bucks your pastor spends on his watches. Yeah. Application, three things and we're done. Number one, stop trying to hide from God. Notice I didn't say stop hiding from God because you can't. It's impossible. God sees everything and he knows everything. So I say stop trying to hide from God. Pretty silly to try to hide from a God that sees everything, isn't it? Yet I know so many Christians that this is their life goal. Their life goal is they're spending their whole life trying to keep an area closed off from God. They don't want him to see it. They're ashamed of it. They never confess it. They live right here. Guarding some secret sin. And God has so much more for them. They just have to turn around. They just got to confess it to God. All right. Here's my best illustration. This is what it's like. Okay. Uh, we got a toddler in the house right now. Hubbard's have a toddler in the house right now. Uh, everybody in the church, it seems, has a toddler in the house right now. Right. And so we have small group. Small group has radically changed for us. All of a sudden there's kids everywhere. We used to talk and now it's. Mama, mama, mama. 
that. I'm like, oh, focus, people. Stop looking at the cute babies. Listen. So here's the deal. It's kind of like you have two toddlers, and there's one toddler that wants the other's toy. Now, if you're the toddler that wants the other toddler's toy, that's not a problem because toddlers have the attention span of a gnat. So a sound, and the one kid goes, and they turn around. Well, what does the other toddler do? Right? Well, when the other kid turns around, not only does the toddler now have their toy, but the toddler is smart enough to figure out if I turn my back to him, I've got the toy. And the other toddler has no idea what happened to the toy. They begin to look around for their toy. Oh, my goodness. They got up and walked away. They begin Now, what do they do? Because they're a child, they cry out, I don't know what happened to my toy. But they don't say that because they can't speak yet, good golly. So we think it might be a diaper or they might be hungry. And it's just a toy. Guess what? That other toddler can't figure out what the first toddler did. They can't see it. Maybe you can't see my sin. Maybe I've hidden it well enough from you. Maybe you can't see the sin of the person in the pew next to you. Maybe they've hidden it well enough from you. Here's the deal in that situation. There's always an adult that's on a different plane than the toddler, isn't there? That can see what's happened. And hopefully the adult corrects the selfish action and takes the toy and put it back in it rightful place friends god is on a different plane from where he sits he sees all of mankind he knows everything you've ever done and everything you ever will so stop wasting your life trying to hide things from a god that knows everything surrender to him talk to him about it just be honest with him god i really blew that didn't i yeah you did i have that conversation a lot that's how it goes too, right? Right? I mean, I mean, just when you get open with God, God will get open with you, brother. God, I really messed that up. He's like, yeah, and it's like the 50th time you've done that, okay? You want to get with it or what? Thank you. You're so nice. <laughs> 70 times 7, brother. I got a few left. <laughs> Stop trying to hide. Number two, learn to really worship. Kind of hinted at this earlier. Um, I think, I think most of the church today as a whole doesn't really understand worship. We come and we're very good at the motions. But in truth, we, we, we want a fattened calf. I mean, we, we want the gold calf. That's what we want. We want something that we can put our hands on. Give me some good lights, right? I want good lights. I need a good bass line. I need some thumping speakers. That's what a lot of the world... And then there's others. No, I don't want any of that stuff. I just want a piano. And uh, I just want to... And I want this. And I, I, I think we've got to have the right acoustics. And we should do this. And we've got to sing that song. Nope, we've got to sing this song. Nope, the carpet's got to be the right color. There's a little bit of a match here. I don't know what's going on. We, gosh, we miss it. That's not worship. That's not worship. I love you, but you can do that at home. Right? I mean, we, we can sit at home and talk about what songs we want to sing. Right? Can't we sit at home and critique what other people wore? We can't. This is not about us. This is about letting the spirit inside of us cry out to the spirit that gave it to us. It's a cry of thanks. It's a cry of I need you. It's a cry of I'm hungry. It's a cry of I'm thirsty. It's a cry of I'm lonely. That's what worship is. You've got to learn how to really worship God. If you do, man, church will become a live and rocking place for you. Morning quiet times will be the thing that you get out of bed for. Praying with your spouse at night can't come fast enough. You get it, man, you'll get it. Number three, 
And again, in love, I say this in love. I say this to me first before I say it to you. Don't waste your life. Stop beating against the air. Please, please, please. Don't be Phoebe. (laughs) All right? Don't run like Phoebe. You were made to run like Paul. And if you do, the world will take notice. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning.